Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Republicans have worked for decades to overturn Roe v. Wade. Now that a leaked draft opinion from the U.S. Supreme Court has signaled that coming reality, what's next for Idaho? One thing's for certain, even after a trigger law goes into effect, the conversation at the State House won't be over. I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, Representatives Brent Crane and Lauren Nekochea join me to discuss the potential implications of abortion in Idaho being criminalized should the U.S. Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade. Then Mark Johnson gives us some historical perspective on Idaho's abortion debates and what's changed in the last three decades. But first, on Monday, advocacy group Reclaim Idaho turned in the last signatures for an education funding initiative voters may see this November. County clerks have 60 days to approve the petition signatures before they go to the Secretary of State's office. If organizers have gathered enough valid signatures, the measure will go before voters on the general election ballot. The, the important part of lifting up is really the, the volunteer effort it takes. People do this on their own time, their own dime. They give up family time, work time, all of it to do this. It's a huge, huge lift, and I don't think that should be understated. Is it, this is a volunteer-driven effort, and that's the only way these things can, can, can succeed in a state like this. The initiative, dubbed the Quality Education Act, would raise an additional $323 million annually for K-12 education in Idaho by increasing taxes on higher income earners. Should the initiative pass, it would not raise taxes for anyone making less than $250,000 a year. On Tuesday, retired Idaho law enforcement officers announced the formation of a new political action committee called Defend and Protect Idaho. The officials spoke out against what they called political extremism and condemned Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan's recent actions, including speaking to white nationalists at the America First Political Action Conference in February. McGeehan is running for governor in the May primary election. I looked and was working through the summer of 2020, and I was frankly disgusted by riots and burning and looting of, of our cities across the country from Kenosha to Portland. And I would say anybody who was offended by that conduct has to be also offended by extremism on the other side of the political aisle. And we cannot stand for or condone or even allow in our politics um, violent, you know, intimidation tactics, which is what we are seeing primarily here in Idaho at this point. And, and I have to be able to, to stand up and say that's wrong and I, I can't condone it. Uh, Janice McGeehan has supported AFPAC, a white nationalist conference where attendees voice support for Putin. Uh, she's gotten support from Holocaust deniers and white supremacists. Uh, she has attracted leaders from the fringe area of Ammon Bundy, who has time and time again shown his disrespect for the law. She mobilized and caused or brought support to the protest at St. Luke's Hospital that shut it down and made emergency services 
divert to other hospitals. Um, she has employed somebody who has talked about shooting law enforcement officers, and she courts people who use intimidation and violence to terrorize other people, including three percenters. Idaho deserves law-abiding leaders, not divisive leaders. McGeehan's campaign did not respond to a request for comment from Idaho Reports, though she has previously defended her speech to AFPAC, saying earlier this year, quote, I do not and have never supported identity politics or other discriminatory views that only seek to divide us and not unite us, end quote. The primary election is May 17th. On Monday night, Politico published a leaked draft of a U.S. Supreme Court opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade, revealing that the court is poised to strike down the landmark decision that guaranteed abortion access. Should the court overturn Roe v. Wade, Idaho does have a trigger law in place that would criminalize nearly all abortions with exceptions for rape, incest, and the life of the mother. That statute was written to go into effect if the courts do overturn Roe v. Wade, and while the court hasn't yet published its final opinion, it did confirm that the leaked draft was authentic. So how will this pending decision shape conversations in the State House over coming years? Representative Brent Crane, chairman of the House State Affairs Committee, and Representative Lauren Nekachea, chair of the Idaho Democratic Party, join me Friday to discuss how Idaho might move forward once an opinion is finalized. Thank you both so much for joining us today. I, I wanted to start with your reactions to the leaked draft opinion that came out earlier this week, and I'll start with you, Representative Crane. I'm frustrated. Uh, disappointed you you know the Supreme Court has always been able to keep those type of issues quiet before they make the decision and I think the reason behind that is that they want to ensure if it's a controversial decision like this one is going to be that you don't have riots that you don't have unrest prior to a decision that the decision is made and then the public can react to it so allowing this to go on for uh, a, a length of time is becoming more problematic and I actually think you'll see the court expedite their timeline and make a decision in order that there's certainty provided not only to the citizens but also to the states that are going to have to react to this should it be overturned. There's the reaction to the leak itself and then there is the potential that this is going to be the opinion that it is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. What's your reaction to the potential overturn? Well, I, it's, it's no secret that I am pro-life. I'm anti-abortion and so obviously this is an area of law that I've worked in and spent a lot of time working in. I think if you'll look at my record over the last 16 years, you'll see that I've passed or worked on uh, 17 pieces of legislation with regards to this issue. So for a pro-life lawmaker, it's, it's, a, it's something that I'm very excited about and uh, we would consider it a win and something that we have tried to convince the court for quite some time. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I wanted to ask you the same thing, Representative Nekachea. Um, so I had a much different reaction. I was devastated to hear this news. Um, this is a right that we've had in place for all of our lifetimes here sitting around this table. And, you know, for, for, the, for these past five decades, Roe v. Wade has protected Idahoans regardless of, you know, what extreme unconstitutional laws were, you know, proposed or enacted in Idaho. And those protections now go away, and I think we face a, a grim reality. You know, as, as Representative Crane said, this is the result of decades of work from the Republican Party, you know, trying to get this overturned. So you say you're devastated. Were you surprised, though? Um, 
you know, even though we knew this was coming, it still felt like a shock. <laughs> um, be because this is a right that we've all enjoyed for so long and it's hard to imagine our lives without it. Um, and because the, the measures that Idaho has been talking about and passing have become ever more extreme. You know, 10 years ago, a proposal that would have mandated transvaginal ultrasounds um, was was deemed too too extreme, and then we just passed a bill that had that had that provision as well as these you know cash bounties for rapists' relatives, um, if the victim pursues an abortion, and these things that are I think just really in conflict with the values that Idahoans hold. Now, I wanted to ask you about the shifting views of the House Republican Caucus uh, from from where you're sitting. I I covered that 2012 bill that would have required the transvaginal ultrasounds. And at the time, the House Republican Caucus thought that that was a step too far. We're in a very different spot now. We have a very different House Republican Caucus. Do you think that your colleagues are getting to a place where they want to um, punish women seeking abortions as opposed to just the physicians, which is what's in Idaho's trigger law now? There's no doubt that the uh, House Republican Caucus is a very pro-life caucus. But no, I don't believe that the caucus has shifted, that they want to uh, punish a woman. Um, the legislation that has been passed, I believe in 2021, uh, dealt with punishing the doctor for performing the abortion, and that's where the caucus would be at today. Now, bear in mind, Melissa, we're gonna probably see 30 new individuals come into the House of Representatives next year. Um, I don't know where those 30 individuals are going to be on this particular issue. And it will be interesting to see that the impact that this decision will have on those individuals and where they will be. Um, so, you know, I can tell you past caucuses up through this year where we would be coming forward, I don't know. But my, what I anticipate is that the House Republican Caucus would not be in favor of punishing the woman if she chose to get an abortion. We would punish the doctor because he's performing the abortion. There are certainly other potential proposals that you might see uh, if you're still House State Affairs Chairman or uh, wherever you are in the legislature. Do you think we're going to see efforts to stop women from traveling to other states to seek abortions? I don't think that you, well, a, a legislator can bring any idea, right? So uh, do I think that a legislator might bring that in? They certainly could. Do I think that that idea would get a hearing or get passed? No, I do not. Would you You're hear that as state affairs chairman? No, I would not. Because an individual still has the right to travel. And if, if they're legal in the state of Oregon and a woman in Idaho chooses to travel to Oregon, that's a decision that she is making to travel to Oregon. Uh, when the government's stepping in and, and restricting people's ability to travel, um, that's, that's a scary place to be. How about abortion pills via mail or IUDs or Plan B? Would you hear legislation to ban those? I would. Absolutely, um, there is some concerns, health concerns actually, with the with the medication that the, you know they they mail the medication to the woman, she takes them. They can sometimes have a reaction to that. So, from a health concerns perspective, yes, I think that we need to take a look at that legislation uh, or look at legislation that would deal with those particular uh, prescribing of those abortifacients. How about IUDs and Plan B, though? Um, Plan B, I probably would uh, hear that legislation. IUDs, I'm not I'm not uh, for certain yet on where I would be on that particular issue. Representative Nekachea, what are what specifically are you concerned about for the coming legislative session? Yeah, uh, uh, so many things because um, we see th the trajectory is just towards more and more extreme <laughs> and invasive proposals. You know, we had two Republican legislators sponsor a bill that would you know put 
put a, a woman on murder on trial for murder um, if she had an abortion. And you know, this isn't something they whispered to each other that they believed this. They they put their names on a bill and, and put it out there. And um, so I'm disturbed about that trend. I'm disturbed um, that we would even could talk about whether an IUD should be legal or not in Idaho. That's a um, effective, well-used form of family planning. And these things have to remain um, accessible. And I think, you know, it was, it was a hard day when we had debated that bill on the House floor, um, the most extreme bill I've seen um, around abortion. And not one hour before, the House uh, killed a bill that would have allowed women to fulfill their to fill their family planning prescriptions six months at a time. This would help, you know, rural women, anyone who has a hard time getting to the pharmacy to to fill that prescription, um, better, more stable access to her family planning, which then prevents unintended pregnancies. And so what I'm seeing is a, a legislature that won't do anything to help people with family planning, to help prevent unintended pregnancy. Um, and but but is but is starting to talk about harsh just appalling punishments um, and with the idea of uh, trying a, a woman for murder and 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 that's that's very disturbing and so I, I, I I'm very fearful of what could happen in, in the coming years without the federal protections of Roe versus Wade and, and to be clear the legislation in past bills in in multiple sessions that would have punished the woman for seeking an abortion those have never gotten a hearing, but they have been proposed in both the House and the Senate. Yeah, I mean, a lawmaker can propose anything that they want. Um, Representative, I think you're probably referring to Representative Scott and Representative Nate. Uh, Representative Scott talked with me about that particular piece of legislation. And I told her, I said, in, in my committee, I'm not gonna hear that bill that puts a woman on trial for murder. If you'll take that portion of the bill out, if you'll put the doctor on trial for murder, which uh, trues up exactly what we already have in Idaho statutes, then we can talk about having a hearing on your bill. So I understand where uh, Lauren is at and the concerns that she has. However, there are still reasonable people in the legislature that uh, you know, are going to ensure that extreme bills like that are not gonna get a hearing. No, I, and I have a question about the Democrats' plan to fight this legislatively. You know, voters for decades now have overwhelmingly sent anti-abortion lawmakers to the state house, elected them to executive positions. You know, how do you plan to fight this legislatively when this is seemingly what Idaho voters want? Well, I think we're going to see if the <laughs> see. Um, I think we're going to see a change in, and I think we're going to see this impact political outcomes, just as we did in 1990 when the Republican legislature passed a, a harsh abortion ban. Governor Cecil Andrews vetoed it, and then a wave of Democrats were, were voted into office. Because it's one thing to send um, a, an anti-abortion lawmaker who's going to pass these bills to the legislature when it doesn't matter, when Roe v. Wade is gonna protect us from those bills being implemented. It's another thing when we have the grim reality of uh, you know, a, a patient facing a miscarriage then now under suspicion and potentially <laughs> you know, finding herself in <clears throat> under investigation by the police. You know, that's what happens in countries where ab abortion is banned. That's the, that's the grim reality that we haven't had to live. We haven't had to live with the implementation of these laws because of Roe v. Wade. And you know, I'm, I'm you know, heartened to hear the representative say that he doesn't want to pursue legislation that would prevent 
you know, travel <laughs> across state lines. But that's also what's so absurd about this bill, because people who have the means to travel to get this legal procedure uh, across the border, they'll be able to do that. They won't be impacted. It'll be, you know, low-income people, um, people of color who might not have the same social networks, who can drive them ac across the state lines, who can lend them the money that they need. And so it's, we have, well, it's just, it's an unjust law when it only applies to some people and not to you know, wealthy people who have the means to find other ways to get this care. I, I wanted to ask you about whether there have been any discussions about what's next for these women and families who are now um, going to be facing the prospect of carrying an unplanned pregnancy to term. Has, have there been any discussions in either the government setting or in the private sector about boosting social services for women and families to make sure that they are supported throughout the pregnancy? Um, I can tell you, as far as a caucus, have we had that discussion? No, we have not had it as an entire caucus. Have individual lawmakers started having that conversation? Absolutely, we have. And there are great resources out there. Stanton uh, Healthcare is one that provides life-affirming care here in the Treasure Valley. Uh, in my town, it's Lifeline Crisis Pregnancy Center. These are private organizations that help come alongside women. I got an email from one of them uh, this week that said, you know, in 20 years of running this organization, Lifeline, I've never had one mother come back and regret her decision to keep her child. But I think you're going to see those, the, there is gonna be additional um, burdens placed upon those organizations. And so also the state's gonna have a role in coming alongside and, and helping those, individ, those individual organizations out, or also looking at uh, state organizations that can help uh, assist these women. Now, all the organizations you mentioned are in the Treasure Valley, and there are lots of resources here in and around Boise and Nampa. What about mothers in Pierce or Orofino or Bear Lake who don't have easy access to a metropolitan center? So I mentioned just the ones that I know of in the Treasure Valley. There's ones all, <coughs> excuse me, there's ones all across the state of Idaho. You have one in Moscow, Idaho, Reliance Care Center. There's a number of them across the state. I don't know each one of them individually and personally, but I do know, and I think that also, I do know some of them, but I also think you're gonna see more of those individual uh, organizations spring up across the state to help these women out. What is the state role in your, in your philosophical worldview? What's the state role in this? Uh, we have to, if, if the state law is going to say, hey, you're gonna carry that child to full term, and uh, there is gonna be a, a burden, a financial burden on that mother, then the state can look at, at individual organizations that we already have in place or agencies that we have in place and come alongside and provide some care for those, whether that's with formula and diapers and you know, uh, healthcare, um, housing, those type of things, you're gonna have to provide some of that. No, these are conversations that, uh, these are proposals that I know that the Democrats have been talking about before a potential Roe v. Wade overturn with increased social services funding and, and more of an attention on housing. Um, it, are we going to see proposals from the Democratic caucus along those lines next year? Um, We'll certainly be taking a look at it, but these are things we've always supported as Democrats. We've always supported investing in affordable childcare, um, investing in health insurance so that people can um, plan, they can get access family planning that allows them to plan a pr healthy pregnancy and then have health insurance postpartum so that they can stay healthy and um, you know, get treatment if they have um, depression, postpartum depression, or any of those things that impact the, the health of the family. We have 
you know, always supported those those supports for health for healthy families, in spite of the fact that the Republican supermajority has voted against many of these things. We could, you know, we Medicaid expansion would have been a great thing um, for 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 healthy pregnancies, but we had to do that through the ballot initiative process because the Republican supermajority blocked it. Um, we barely can pass, you know, investments in childcare. It takes the Democrats in the House to get those budgets across the line. Um, so. I, there's, we don't have, the legislature does not have a good track record in supporting these things that help families succeed, and um, it's 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 high time that they, that that changes. And I wanted to get your response to that. Does the overturn of Roe v. Wade would it change the conversation around those services? It, it will change the conversation absolutely. Now, from a Republican perspective, we would prefer that that's done in the private sector with some of those organizations that I've mentioned. So always. Republicans are looking towards, is there a private solution rather than a government solution? Um, so we will look to, to see what we can do to come along those private organizations. Uh, might the government have to play a role in this? Yeah, they might have to. And if so, I think you'll see legislate, Republican legislators stand tall and uh, do the right thing. All right, Representative Brent Crane, Representative Laura Nekachea, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Monday's news of the leaked Supreme Court draft prompted protests on Tuesday afternoon in Boise. Meanwhile, Idaho Republican leaders condemned the leak of the draft while praising the court for the pending decision. Idaho Republican Party Chairman Tom Luna said, quote, although this opinion is only a draft, if it stands, it will validate the Republican Party and its pro-life allies in their decades-long struggle to prove that Roe v. Wade and KCV Planned Parenthood were unconstitutional since the day they were were penned, unquote. Protests and fights over abortion are nothing new in Idaho. In 1990, the legislature drew national attention and threatened boycotts of Idaho potatoes with a highly restrictive abortion bill similar to the trigger law Idaho recently passed. The legislature passed that bill, but Democratic Governor Cecil Andrus ultimately vetoed it. House Bill 625 does not provide any flexibility for a woman and her family in these very difficult circumstances. The bill is drawn so narrowly that it would punitively and without compassion further harm an Idaho woman who may find herself in the horrible, unthinkable position of confronting a pregnancy that resulted from rape or incest. Now, when all of the emotion and rhetoric uh, is set aside and the issues are examined in the cold glare of hard cases, these restrictions fail the test of reasonableness and compassion. I believe and I'm confident that the people of Idaho believe that we can make our own judgments on this terrible important issue without outside pressure, outside influence and threats. Now, when I consider what is right for Idaho, I must consider my own views and the needs of the state of Idaho. This bill satisfies neither. Joining me to discuss that veto is Mark Johnson, former host of Idaho Reports before becoming a top aide to Governor Andrus. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. There are a lot of parallels between the debate that we heard in 1990 and the debates we've seen in the Idaho legislature over the past few years. Uh, absolutely, uh, Melissa. I think there are uh, some, some striking parallels between 
what happened 32 years ago uh, with the legislature and a really what, what at the time was really thought of as a radical piece of legislation and what the legislature has done more recently. The difference, of course, is uh, C. Sandris vetoed House Bill 625 in 1990. Governor Little uh, signed the bill with many of the same reservations, ironically, that Governor Andrus uh, articulated in 1990. And it's funny that you mentioned that because as we were listening to Governor Andrus's speech that we just aired, a lot of those same reservations, as you said, almost verbatim in Governor Little's uh, uh, transmittal letter. Well, yeah, you know, the legislation in 1990 was uh, extremely restrictive. It was billed by its proponents as providing exceptions in cases of rape and incest and the health of the mother. But in reality, those exceptions were so tightly drawn that they were really unworkable. They would have not been practically applicable. If, for example, uh, a rape victim was uh, to be able to have an abortion under that legislation, the rape would have had to been reported within seven days. The incest exception only applied to uh, a young woman under the age of 18. So as a practical matter, they were exceptions that really had no practical application. But uh, and this recent legislation strikes me as being even more radical in many ways in terms of restricting access to, for what a law, uh, for a long, long time, I think most people in Idaho would have thought were reasonable exceptions uh, that allowed for an abortion to take place. A lot has changed since then, though there are fewer Democrats in the Idaho legislature. Right. Uh, hasn't been a Democrat in the governor's office since Governor Andrus. And there are fewer self-described pro-life Democrats. Uh, you wrote this week that Republicans may see a backlash in a piece that uh, appeared in the Washington Post. But are they gonna see that backlash in very red states like Idaho? I think the jury's out on that, but I would certainly not rule it out. And for a couple of specific reasons. Uh, one thing, if the Supreme Court follows through as the leaked opinion of Justice Alito seems to indicate it will, and essentially wipes uh, Roe versus Wade off the books, which has been the law of the land for more than 50 years. I do think the momentum in this debate will shift from the pro-life forces that have generally rewarded Republicans over the last 50 years on this issue to uh, the, a, a new aggrieved party in the country, if you will. People who come of age in the United States while that was the law of the land, and suddenly it's been ripped away from them in many, many states. So I think you'll see a momentum shift on the politics side of it. I also think you'll see for uh, the, maybe the first time since Roe versus Wade, individual states, individual legislators, individual governors will have to come to grips with the reality of the policy that they put in place and how it affects the lives of many, many uh, women in this country. And that's a new phenomenon. For a long time, talking about uh, uh, anti-abortion legislation was a largely a theoretical exercise. It's going to become very, very real for millions of people. It's, it's going to become real and not a hypothetical, but the consequences, we're, we're not gonna know some of the consequences of these policies for several years in some cases. Well, again, you know, there are no perfect political analogies, but in 1990, obviously Governor Andrus was up for reelection that year. 
those of us who worked for him, I think, were more concerned than he was about the political pushback that might come from a veto. But as I noted in the piece in the Washington Post this week, uh, we did polling right after that veto, and it uh, really surprised all of us that there was strong support in Idaho for that veto. When he took the time to explain why he had taken the action he did, the consequences for real people in the state, uh, people understood the the trade-offs and they broadly supported what he'd done. And we'll have to leave it right there. We're out of time, but thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for watching. We will see you next week. presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.